Coming to you from the Morningstar Mission sponsored studio, this is Carl and Crew Mornings. You know, sometimes you get a text message that taken out of context would sound strange. Yeah. Or you ever catch the... The, the p- a piece of a conversation as you're walking <laughs> by somebody. Yes. And you go, I wonder in the world what, what in the world they're talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. It's like the plot line of like several sitcoms that, <laughs> you know, I heard the, I heard you say this. Well, you didn't hear the whole context. You didn't hear the whole context. So I got one of those text messages oh, yeah? yesterday that uh, if out of context, you'd go, what in the world? <laughs> so this was the text that I got yesterday uh, around this same time. I'm stuck in Jericho. I can call in 10 minutes. <laughs> stuck in Jericho. I'm stuck okay. in Jericho. I can call in 10 minutes. Did you ask him if he lowered himself? He just lowered himself out of a basket down the window of the wall? <laughs> I didn't. Okay. So who sent me this text? Well, it was Carl. Yesterday, he was supposed to be on with us at a certain time, checking in live from Israel. And that was the text that he sent. I'm stuck that. in Jericho. I can call in 10 minutes. Texts that need a little bit more explanation. Carl's been uh, in Israel all week. That's why his voice has not been as present as he normally is. He's normally the lead host. But he took a team of from his church and also some from the Boom Crew. There were some extra slots. So a couple months ago, we opened it up to the Boom Crew. About 20 folks signed up to go. And they have been touring the Holy Land, seeing some really cool sites. Mm, yeah. He did some baptizing in the Jordan River. What are some other I, I almost got to get my sheet to remind me. They hopped on a boat to the Sea of Galilee. Yep. What uh, else did he describe doing? Uh, he went to Zippori, which that was, a, was a town near where Jesus grew up and where he probably would have spent a lot of time as an adolescent. Uh, he talked about uh, he talked about going to the Dead Sea. Dead Sea. Yeah. So let's hear from Carl yeah. coming up. This is uh, a little check-in that he ha- did with Omer Eschel, where he's going to be breaking down. They sat with the itinerary before he left. He sat down with Omer and looked at the itinerary so that he could really give some rich context of the places that they're going to be visiting day by day. So you're going to hear from Carl coming up. No energy? No problem. We have all the energy you need and more. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Carl here with Carl and crew traveling across Israel with my good friend Omer Eschel. The Bible comes to life. Google that up. The Bible comes to life and you will see there on the top of the search category, Omer's website. There's great educational material there. There's over 110 little video vignettes of locations. You want to follow along with this, you certainly can. Where are we today, Omer? We are going to start today in Masada. We're going to climb with a cable car. We're not going to climb up by foot. And we're going to visit Masada, which is uh, uh, one of Herod's palaces and the last stronghold of the Jews in the year 73 AD. From there, we are going to visit your favorite buddy in the Bible. Yep. We're going to visit the castle of Josiah in Love Tel it. Arad. Love it. We're going to see the reformation of Josiah in archaeological digs. You can actually see his reformation both in Arad and right after that, we're going to go to the mighty city of Lachish. And now, again, Josiah... So I know a man that was raised in or lived in the Ella Valley. What's his name? Well, his name is Omer, and his daughter's name is Ella, Ella. named after that valley. <laughs> Tell us the significance of the Ella Valley. Ella Valley is the place of the Battle of David and Goliath. And there's a lot of things more to see than the Battle of David and Goliath. What we're going to see, we're going to start the city of Lachish, which was the largest city after Jerusalem. The Bible speaks a lot about it. After that, we're going to go and see a tomb. From the time of Jesus, 
that looked exactly what the Bible described. It is not the tomb of Jesus. Right. But if you want to see how the tomb looked like, this would be it. Then we're going to go to the mighty city of Azekah uh, that was conquered by Joshua and then rebuilt by Rehoboam. And this is the place where you can see the valley of Elah and analyze 1 Samuel 17 second by second. That's why, by the way, my daughter is named after this valley because it is a profound, profound moment in our history. Not just from the fact that David defeated Goliath. This is the place where David received Michal as the princess, meaning he got the kosher stamp of being the next king of Israel. Yeah, Mikkel had a problem with his celebration of the Ark returning. What was going on there from your perspective? She was a party pooper. <laughs> David danced in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And it's more than dancing. Actually, in the Bible, it doesn't say dancing. It said kirker vepizez, which means dance crazy. I mean, he was, the spirit of God was all over him. And Michal came from a proper manor home. She was a princess, and she thought, mm, this is inappropriate. But what is inappropriate to dance in front of God? This is, this is beautiful. You should do that. So it, it's, a, it's a sad story because Michal, with her vanity and her princess way of thinking, missed out big time that you need to celebrate when the Ark of the Covenant returns. Uh, the New Testament speaks very boldly that we are sealed in the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1. And we are not only sealed, we are now adopted by God. The Holy Spirit indwells us. David, though, uh, wrote words, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He was filled with the Spirit. That's why he was dancing before the Ark of the Covenant with such joy. But he understood what it was to have the Spirit of God depart. He knew what it was to have good spirits come and drive demons away from Saul when he strummed his harp. Mm -hmm. They understood the spirit realm is what I'm trying to say. It wasn't some stodgy old Hebrew religion. These men of God, they knew the spirit of God. David, actually, you know, one of the great thing about David, David repented. Yes, many, he did. How many politicians, you know, that repent on anything, even today? None. None. David repented because David knew when he sacrificed Uriah to steal his wife, yeah. he lost his son because of this. Yeah. And that's a spirit. That is, that is his punishment. And David repented. That's why God told he's a man after my, my heart, because he repented. He understands what it is when you have the gift of the Holy Spirit and when you don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is angry with you. Yeah. How are we going to wrap up the day on the 11th? After the Ella Valley, Ella Valley, you finish over there with a bang. Ella Valley is when people sit over there, see that event, and it's like, wow, you want to stop there. You don't want to add anything. So from there, we're going to go up to Jerusalem to let people digest what they just saw, because that is big. Ella yeah. Valley is big. So we get there. I think the sun's about setting when we get there. Yes, we will and, see it uh, over sunset. Yeah, We'll pick up some stones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, coming up tomorrow is going to be January 12th, and we're going to give you an overview. Tomorrow, join us here, 5 to 9 a.m., right here, Carl and Crew Mornings, with my buddy, Omar Eschel. Want to put faces to their names? Just follow Carl and Crew Mornings on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget, that's Carl with a K. So you want 2023 to be your most fruitful year yet? I do. I'm Allie. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. Sometimes I think we can confuse fruitfulness with productivity. By that, I mean 
instead of being truly fruitful, we're called to bear fruit. Mm-hmm. We just try to get a lot of things done because getting things done feels good. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's, you know, a big reason, too, why we equate, you know, working hard with pleasing God. Yeah. Is, you know, we we come up with these tasks of these things that we have to do. And we make ourselves think that that's going to be what pleases God. When right. in all reality, that's so far from the mm-hmm. truth. It's the same way. And so you could fill your calendar with ministry obligations or you could say, well, this is going to be the year that I start the blog or I write the book or I do X, Y, and Z because it feels good to accomplish things. Yes. But have you considered that sometimes there's productivity that's the opposite of fruitfulness? Mm. Sometimes we do things that we haven't been called to do. And sometimes we need to set aside productivity in order to be fruitful. I want to really break this conversation down. We have a special guest coming up who this is kind of a sweet spot. We're, we're going to talk to his name is Jeremy Pettit. He's a professor here at Moody Bible Institute. What's the difference between productivity and fruitfulness? And how do you know which place that you're landing in this new year? Boom Crew, celebrate what God is doing in you. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. As you talk about how to live fruitfully this week, I've got a special guest I want to introduce you to. His name is uh, Jeremy Pettit. He's spent the past 20 plus years pouring his life into communication, leadership, teaching. He's a professor here at Moody Bible Institute. How would you sum up what it is, just kind of your specialty? It's leadership, it's communication. Is it, what else? That's that's a lot of it. There's a lot going on there. All, I, I say communication because I think communication now involves a lot of different kinds of things. Okay. And so that chen, tends to be different kinds of relationships. Okay. So thinking through what does that relationship look like in terms of both leadership, team dynamics, interpersonal conversations, mm-hmm. and then also even culture, like how we form and shape culture using communication. So it's all these different fun places I get to play because communication is such a broad category. Right. And these currently teaches or Organizational media for the comm department here at Moody Bible Institute, media strategies, nonprofit communication, team dynamics, etc. Those are his areas of instruction. How did you get into this? How did you kind of decide that this was going to be your thing? Well, I went in my undergrad to kind of a school like Moody where I basically was doing like pastoral studies and I wanted to be a pastor and that's what I thought I was supposed to do. And I went on to be a youth pastor and then I went to get a master's degree and I looked at all of the things on the master's degree for an MDiv and thought, wait a second, this is mostly what I took in undergrad. And I really like Greek and Hebrew, but how much more of this do I really want to take? (laughs) And so so the question that kept coming back to me and, and the center thing that I've been wrestling with most of my life is, How do we listen well to the people around us and especially to the world, what they're really trying to say, Mm -hmm. not simply, well, they said this and that's offensive. Like what's really behind what they're after, what they're trying to talk about. And then also how do we then talk back to them in ways that they'll understand? Yeah. And so those two things led me to get a a master's in communication and culture, really understand how does culture think and how is culture created? And then how do we communicate? What are they communicating to us and how do we communicate back? Because ultimately, I think there's times where the gospel gets missed by culture because of the way we're talking, Mm. not because of the gospel itself. Now, when you talk about how we communicate this area of fruitfulness, which is our theme for this week, it often gets talked about in terms of productivity, mm-hmm. that to be fruitful is to get a lot of stuff done. Yep. You draw an important distinction. What do you think is the difference between fruitfulness and productivity? Yeah, so 
when when we look at the scripture, and I just I actually been working on this a lot uh, lately, and, and even preached a message at the church I go to, the Hope Collective, about fruitfulness and, and the difference between that. I preached a message called "The Laptop and the Bonsai." Oh, <laughs> and and actually went through the entire um, Gospels and tried to find all the places where Jesus referenced technological metaphors to define humans. Okay, give me an example. I'm not sure I know what you mean by that. So basically, um, a, a piece of technology is anything that humans create to shape their world. Okay. Uh, and not just, you know, your phone or whatever. That's anything. A shovel, a pencil, even paper itself is a technology because you took something natural and turned it into something we could use for a tool. Okay. And systems as well. And, and the challenge there is Jesus never used technology to define humans. Even though technically in his day, Jesus was a technology worker. He was a stonemason or a carpenter. He worked with technology, took natural things and made tools and things out of them. And yet he never talked about humans that way. Okay. And so the danger is that we often have this sense of, um, well, we should just apply technological thinking to humans when Jesus never did. And if you believe that Jesus came to earth exactly when he wanted to mm-hmm. and used the language and time that he lived in to communicate, then all the things he said were on purpose and all the things he didn't say were on purpose. And if he used natural metaphors, mostly trees and gardens, he used those kinds of natural growing things that God designed to describe us, then fruitfulness is not tied into technological productivity. Okay. Five tips to be healthier or, you know, seven ways to be a better Christian. Or he he didn't use these, these equations that if you do A and B, you'll get C. He used a abide. He used... Uh, abide in the vine. He used um, discussions about trees that you'll produce fruit. And so when we say that word fruitfulness, that's really important that we're talking about fruit because fruit has some things in it inherently in the metaphor that don't have anything to do with technology. Okay. Give me, give me some examples. Dig a little deeper there. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Dig so, a little deeper. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so let's just say that uh, fruit is something a healthy tree produces. Mm-hmm. So when your life is healthy, it is holistic, it is at peace, it is experiencing joy, it naturally produces fruit. A tree doesn't have to try to produce fruit, it just does. Mm -hmm. It does because it's connected to the resources that it needs. And a tree needs resources. It needs soil and water and sunlight and all the things around it that will help it grow, that make it healthy. So do we. We need those kind of resources around us because when we're getting to that place where we're full where our life has got the kind of peace and joy, we start producing that fruit around us to the people around us. The second thing is that fruit produces in seasons and not on demand. Mm. Technology like microwave says, you put it in, you get popcorn out in three minutes. Hey, that's just how that works. Right. Um, trees don't produce fruit on demand. You can't go out and bang the tree and expect an apple to fall off in 10 minutes. It produces fruit in seasons and it has seasons to its life that are different stages of fruitfulness. So what it looks like in winter is very different than what it looks like in harvest is very different than what it looks like in spring. All of those seasons are important, but realistically, if you are expecting a tree to give you, oh, I need 50 apples tomorrow in the middle of winter, it's not going to happen. Right. And lastly, trees produce fruit, but they don't produce it for themselves. Right. The fruit that the trees produce is actually for others. It's for growing more trees. It's for nourishing the people around it. It's for nourishing the ground of the forest. It's not for themselves. So the notion that you could be self-fulfilling, which tends to happen in technology, this works for me to do what I want it to do, 
The tree's not producing fruit necessarily to fulfill itself. It's to bless the rest of the people and trees around it. It's to nourish the people that are gathering the fruit. It's to grow the future of the forest. It's to do all these other things, but not necessarily just for itself. Our special guest this morning, his name is Jeremy Pettit. This is fascinating stuff. He's a professor here at Moody Bible Institute. Coming up, let's uh, talk about how we how do we do self-checks? How do we know if we are being fruitful or just productive? More coming up. Helping you start your day with a boom. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Talking fruitfulness this week on Carl and Crew. I'm Allie. Carl is touring Israel. We're going to have live check-ins with him this morning. But right now, special guest Jeremy Pettit with us, Associate Professor of Communications here at Moody Bible Institute. We're talking about the difference between productivity and fruitfulness. Now, it's easy at the beginning of a new year. We're in January. People get bins to organize stuff. People get new planners to try to get their schedule in order. There is this sense of thinking that if I'm getting a lot of things done, Mm -hmm. if at the end of the day I have a lot of boxes, checks, things to show for my time, then I'm productive, which must mean I'm fruitful. But how do we know if our productivity is actually fruitful? Yeah, and this is actually a question I've been wrestling with for a really long time. Oh, good. Um, So so first recognize that I was a pastor before I I came to Moody, but immediately before I came to Moody, I actually was uh, the vice president of resources and publishing for Awana. Mm. So I spent a ton of time, which meant I'm responsible for all the curriculum for Little kids all the way through high school and even training adults. And Awana is an amazing kids ministry that's all over the world, right? Global organization, right? And so the question that kept coming back up was, how will we know if we did a good job? Like if we create all these resources and training and all this other stuff for kids to grow and become like, how how will we know? You say, well, okay, it's become like Jesus. Okay, good. That's a good start. But what do you, what, what can we look for? Yeah. And and the natural inclination would be to say, well, it's Awana, so you guys obviously memorize Bible verses. Uh, yeah, that's true. And part of that's about a recognition that it, to be mature, there must be some sense of knowing the Scripture. Because Jesus knew the Scripture, okay. quoted it all the time. So we got to be able to say, hey, how much do we know the Scripture? How much do we know the truth? And yet, at the same time, the recognition was, yeah, but the Pharisees did too. Mm. The Pharisees could quote Scripture, and there was something missing for them. So what was the other side of that coin and that kept coming back to the idea of love. The Pharisees were missing love. So it's this, this notion that truth and love have to be uh, together in balance to come to be more faithful, more fruitful, more like Jesus. And that notion of recognizing that truth and love is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And disciples are fruitful by nature because they're walking in the footsteps of their master. Okay, so someone listening goes, so truth and love. So I know that I'm growing if I know some scripture, that's Mm -hmm. truth. And if I love people well, okay, is there more to it than that? Like, I mean, I think it's I think it's uh, the recognition that this is an ongoing process mm -hmm. like it would be with a tree. You're not expecting the tree to produce 50 apples the first time it produces fruit. So it's the notion that you grow and become more mature And as you grow and become more mature, become more fruitful than you were capable of being when you were younger in your faith. Yeah. And and the reality is that most people know that they they're really good on one side of this. Like if you pick the truth or the love, (laughs) I I get one of these and I'm I'm good. And so there's a lot there. I've met people. I had a student that got saved and just she just loved Jesus. But I could have taught her any heresy in the world and she would have just been like, but if it's about Jesus, it must be true. Okay. And I was like, okay, wait. So love without truth makes for good fans, but it doesn't make for good disciples. Mm. 
And then I met a bunch of other kids because I traveled all over and met kids in Iwana and I had kids in my youth group who had grown up in church and they knew the truth. They could quote Bible verses. They could do all kinds of wonderful sword drills and find you a passage in the scripture in under 10 seconds. And yet when I asked them when they showed love to the people around them, they really didn't always give me a good answer. And I realized that that was the danger that we could just make more Pharisees. So because truth without love makes good students, it doesn't necessarily make good disciples because that's just one half of it. The combination of truth and love in disciples is people who are following Jesus and that in the connection to Jesus, as we see in John 15, is where the fruit comes from. Yeah. So that self-check is kind of where am I at in terms of my knowing God's word, but also where am I at in terms of loving God and loving people well? Yeah. And and really, the answer is actually really easy. Because if you're listening to me today and you said, yeah, I know the scripture, you got really excited when I said, know the truth, that's probably your strong point. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wait, I got to serve my neighbors and the people around me. Oh, shoot, I got to do that. Or if you're like, no, 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 I go to soup kitchens and I help people all the time, but I do skip my Bible study. Whichever one you got excited about, it's probably the one you're strongest mm. in. Yeah. And so, you know, the next question that people ask me is, well, then what do I do? And, and the answer is really simple. If you're my, here's my suggestion. If you're trying to do uh, to be, to live a little more fruitful this year is this is if you're experiencing that I love people and I, I but I'm, you know, truth is difficult for me. Try spending some time in God's word this year. Dig in a little deeper, really getting in there and finding out, uh, memorize some of it, pick a passage to really dig into and know God's word well enough. Because as we do that, it starts taking root in us yeah. and changing us from the inside out. And if you're on the other side and you're saying, listen, I know the scripture. I go to Bible study every week. I read my Bible for an hour a day. I'm, <laughs> I'm super into this. How about you just pick some people to go serve and love and I know there's going to be moments where you say, I'm not sure I love these people when I start, but what I found is that the moment that I go serve them and see Jesus in them, I start to love them because I love Jesus. Mm. And so I find places to serve. So if you're struggling with, hey, I got truth, I love the scripture, but I need to grow in my love, then you need to find a place to serve in community and your church and the places around you for people that could use your help. Curious for you, obviously you teach this, this is your passion did you find that you naturally tended towards one or the other more? Absolutely. What, I, I, what I mean, was it for you? I grew up. I grew up in a Christian home. I got saved when I was four. Uh, I went to church on like the third day I was born. Okay, so uh, I, think I went I can to guess. church. <laughs> I, I used to joke that if you had there was a quota for going to church by about twelve, I didn't have to ever go to church again. <laughs> So, so I was totally truth. And, and for me, it was a push to say, okay, how do I love my neighbor? Mm. And it's just been experimenting. Like, where do I love going and helping, serving, working with people? Um, and I generally tend toward adolescents, teenagers, and college students just because I love that space in life. And I feel like I can do the most good for those people. But uh, the other thing I'm usually looking for is who can, who can I help that can't help me? Mm. Like, I'm not doing this because I get something from it. Right. I'm doing this because I can give something to them because I give that to God as I'm doing it. And and I do, and I am blessed. So please don't don't hear that. Like, when you go and serve other people, you're constantly blessed as you engage with them. You're like, wow, this is really cool. God's doing some amazing things. But you recognize that, hey, that's the push for me. So that's the space I need to step into. Special guest today, Jeremy Pettit. It's been a real pleasure. You can check out his website, jeremypettit.com. Spell your last name because I know people will. <laughs> jeremypettit.com. Well, how do you spell Pettit? Pettit is 
Four T's, P-E-T-T-I-T-T. No <laughs> E on the end. Four T's, pet it. Like a dog. That's what I tell you, just pet it. <laughs> JeremyPettit.com. Thanks for being with us this morning. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Allie. Coming to you live from the Morningstar Mission Sponsor Studios, this is Carl and Crew Mornings on 90.1 FM Moody Radio. Good morning to you as you're getting your Wednesday morning off. I hope you're off to a good start this morning. This uh, air FAA outage? Yeah. My goodness. I know. It's ap- after the Southwest <laughs> debacle. Yeah. And now this. You don't really hear about all flights being grounded, but it's a computer system not- they all rely on. Whoa. Yeah. All flights. All flights okay. had been grounded for a time. And now they're just recently, this came up on my computer uh, a couple of minutes ago, saying that there have now been reports of some flights taking off. So the issue may have been fixed, maybe for some, not for all, or they're just kind of getting a slow start and they'll be back up soon. You know, the trickle down effect of that, it can <laughs> take a little bit to get Certainly. caught up. So if you are traveling this morning, my goodness, uh, patience. Yeah. Fruit of the Spirit, ask <laughs> yeah. the Lord to help you. The traveling can absolutely bring out uh, some ugly stuff when we start to experience delays and lost luggage. We've been talking all this week about how to live fruitfully. Uh, we're going to be in one of my favorite fruit passages in all of Scripture. It's a oh. New Testament passage. I'll tell you up front. It's John 15. I know it's one of Carl's favorites. That's true. So maybe we'll ask him about it. We're going to hear from him live from Israel in just a couple of minutes. Just tuning in? Hear what you missed with the Carlin Crew Showcast. Just go to carlincrew.org. Uh, let's check in with Carl. Carl, if you've not been following along, he's been traveling Israel, getting a tour of the Holy Land this week, along with some folks from 180 Chicago, the church that he pastors here in the city, along with some members of the Boom Crew who jumped on the trip as well. Carl, uh, what are you seeing this morning? Or this afternoon, I guess, well, for you? It's beautiful. It's in the afternoon here in Jerusalem. We just came into the city. We are on the Mount of Olives. Wow. And I am about to teach um, to a big group here. Jim Copley right now is explaining the prophet Zechariah, explaining the reality that when Jesus returns, there is going to be a great divide up here on this mountain. Hmm. It'll go all the way down to the gate and uh, the King of Glory will come in. What I'm going to be highlighting, Allie, is the fact that there's two Old Testament, primary Old Testament, really, narratives that describe the Mount of Olives. They're both tragic, and this is what makes the coming of Christ so beautiful. Uh, David actually came to this hill weeping, left Jerusalem. I'm standing right here on the Mount right now, Allie. I'm standing right here, and and, uh, I'm looking down at the city. This is, whew, it's overwhelming. Uh, David walked out of the city, having been betrayed by his own boy, middle-born son, Absalom, driven out of the city. And here he came to the top of this beautiful little hill, the Mount of Olives, weeping over his great loss. A lot of us have a lot of loss in our life, and that's one way to approach the hills. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes that's a reality. But then we find another interesting thing that happened. Solomon in first Kings was blessed by God mightily, so mightily that he said, let us, let us praise God. Immediately then he comes up to the Mount of Olives after 
Yeah, he had a few wives. I don't know how this guy did this, 700 <laughs> so. Uh, but and the, you're probably thinking, who would put up with a guy like this, right, Alex? I mean, <laughs> Maybe <come> a on. <laughs> little bit. <laughs> so, um, but he, he, this, this guy immediately gets blessed by God, and what does he do? He begins to worship false gods. He comes up here to the Mount of Olives, and and he erects an altar to Molech. So God's blessed him. He said, oh, praise be to God. And he comes up here and he erects an altar to Molech. So sometimes this is a place of deep weeping. Sometimes this is a face, place of false worshiping. But Jesus came here. And it's found in Matthew 23 and 24. I, I can't, it's too windy. I can't even open the scriptures. So I'm doing this from heart here. But he came up and he sat down on the Mount of Olives. And he said, this is a place to be watching and this is a place to be multiplying. And this is a place to be really walking and growing in wisdom. Mm. And, he, and he gave these great stories um, about the parable, the talents, about the fig tree that withers, about the ten virgins who trim their wicks, and five that did, five that didn't. And, you know, we got a choice with what we're facing here today. And, you know, no matter where you are in Chicago land, I love this, you guys, group crew. No matter where you are in the world, because we have a lot of people that listen globally too. God is asking you to go uphill some days. And there's going to be times of weeping. And there might even be some times when we take the blessing of God and turn them into false worship. But there is a need for us to always be watching, waiting, and working. Yeah. and really being prepared for the next coming of Christ. And boy, I'm excited for this. Wow. This is amazing. It's perfectly blue skies here in Jerusalem today, probably 62 degrees, not a breath of wind here on the Mount of Olives, maybe a couple degrees of wind, but um, absolutely spectacular. Uh, we're going to be going through the Garden of Gethsemane, and then we're going to be uh, headed to the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall today. My goodness, that's a, it. Sounds sounds like each day has its own, it's certainly its own adventure. But the the what God is doing in your heart as you see these different places, yeah, and it, it, you can hear it in your voice. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's thrilling. It's absolutely thrilling. Uh, you can hear probably in the background here, Jim. Jim's got his back to the city. We're yep. all looking at him right now, and he's. Uh, He's preaching out of Zechariah. Let me hold this up to him for a quick second. If you're on radio, you'll be able to hear this. Okay. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. And on that day, his feet will stand where? On the Mount of Olives. So he left from the Mount of Olives in the first ascension. There we go. You got a little snippet of yes. Dr. Jim Coakley dishing it up there. Man, I'm, I'm trying to picture it in my mind. What a beautiful sight. <laughs> Carl, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for checking in and Thanks. kind of taking us along with you as you, you're learning and discovering and seeing. Praise God for what he's doing. Yeah, it's great. Thank you for letting me be a part of your morning there, Allie. Always a joy. Carl, broadcasting live from Jerusalem this morning. Man, trying to really just picture he's got holding the phone and he's in the Mount of Olives looking yeah. over Jerusalem and 
Such an incredible sight to behold, I'm sure. If you mm. want some pictures, uh, this pictures from the first couple days of the tour up on Facebook and Instagram. We'll try to get some more pictures up as we get them, but do check it out. Facebook and Instagram, just search Carl and Crew Mornings. Uh, coming up, what is that passage of scripture? I told you, John 15, it's one of my favorites that talks about fruit. Let's go there, coming up. Your shot of hope to make it through the day. It's Carl and Crew Mornings. John 15, I wish Carl could be back with us to talk about this one because I know yeah. that it is his one of his favorites as well. You talk about how to live fruitfully. I don't know that you could do a week on fruit and not use this passage. This oh, is, absolutely not. I mean, this is like the key fruit passage of the New Testament. Classic. One of them at least. Okay, so let me give it to you. I'm just going to read straight out of Scripture because there's nothing more important than that. This is John 15. I'm going to read the first four or five verses. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I it in, I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. You know, I remember one of my favorite things to do is to go for walks. I love just walking in my neighborhood. Yeah. Sometimes power walking, sometimes I'll listen to worship music and pray as I walk. Sometimes I just take in the sights and the sounds of what's going on around me. I remember one time there was, uh, this was probably four or five years ago, there was a pretty big storm that hit the city and there was a ton of tree damage. Okay, yeah. I don't even remember what month it was. It must have been, I would say, late summer But it was a strong storm, and for whatever reason, trees were really impacted. So I went on my walk, and I'm walking through up one street, turn the corner, walk in one block, and then down another. And there were so many branches that had fallen off of trees during this storm. Mm. And so in the first day or two after the storm hit, all of those the branches that were littered in yards and sidewalks, they'd all been kind of collected and piled and moved towards the street, obviously, so they're not trip hazards, so they're not... (laughs) in people's yards, landing on people's roofs or causing problems. So all of them had been cleared out of the way and moved toward the street. And what I noticed in those first couple days after the storm, the branches still looked pretty normal. Okay, yeah. They were were detached and Mm -hmm. on the ground, but the leaves were still leafy. They still looked, they they were still green and healthy looking. Yeah, that makes sense. But I noticed a a distinct change as the days wore on. And I would walk these same blocks and I would just look for no particular reason other than I'm just taking it in. But I noticed how day after day, the branches started to become more dead Mm. with the passage of time. They were disconnected from the life source, the tree. So the leaves survived maybe a day or two, but day three, day four, day five, shriveled, brown. What was once alive was now dead. Yeah, it's it's such a, a great piece of imagery because... I think we often do when when we remove ourselves from the life source, when we are not close with Jesus, there is a short period of time where we feel like we're doing it okay. Yeah. You know, and I think that that convinces us, hey, maybe like maybe I'm all right. Maybe I don't have to 
you know, spend time with Jesus. Maybe I don't have to be in his word. Maybe I don't have to be talking to him right now. And slowly, but surely, <laughs> but ev- surely. every single time that what was looking really healthy starts to wither away and things start to downgrade for yep. sure. A branch that's disconnected from a tree, a branch that's disconnected from the vine will die. It cannot sustain life. Why? Well, for obvious reasons. When you take a take those tree branches, when they were connected to the tree, they were getting the nutrients, they, life was being sustained. But the minute they were severed, there was nothing to give life anymore. And so death was the only possible result. Mm-hmm. And so when we go back to this passage, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, if you've spent any time reading scripture, this is, you know this illustration, but it's good to be reminded of it, that we are not the life source. Yeah. You aren't. I'm not. And so we're just branches that are connected to the vine. Well, The vine is Jesus. So when we are disconnected, there's no life there. So today I ask you, what's your, what's your life source? Is there life flowing, coursing through you or have you gotten disconnected? Your number one hub for freedom stories. You're listening to Carl and crew mornings. Good morning to you. I got a question for you. What fruit did you see when you truly started abiding in Christ? We're looking at John 15 this morning. If it's true that whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'd love to hear your story this morning. What fruit did you see in your life when you started truly abiding in Christ? Was it a peace that you'd not experienced before? Was it a joy? Was it strength? What was the fruit that was born by your life when you really started abiding in Christ. Let's get the phone lines going this morning. Give us a call, 312-274-9624. Philip from Aurora, good morning, brother. What's your answer to that question? Happy New Year, Year. Allie and Young Thunder. Happy New Year, Philip. (laughs) Thank you, guys. You know, I, I told Lisa that it was so awesome. When I truly, when I turned around and let God take hold of my life, I found myself experiencing the fruit of forgiveness, Mm. you know, that I was able to let go of so many perceived hurts or actual hurts that had been done to me by others. But most importantly, and Lisa pointed this out too, is that I let God be God because I stopped thinking that I couldn't forgive myself and I was able to forgive myself. And I don't know about you, but I find myself so many times just beating myself up and not wanting to let God to experience the gift that God has given us when he forgave us. And so it was, it was great to forgive other people, but it was also so refreshing and rejuvenating to forgive myself, to be able to say to myself, Hey, it's okay. God's got you. You have confessed. You have repented. All right, let's get on this road of redemption now. Mm. Boom Crew, celebrate what God is doing in you. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. The average commuter lost 155 hours of their year sitting in traffic. Okay, I got a question for you, Boom Crew. (laughs) Commuter or not? If you could get back 155 hours, Uh you could get back the time that you'd spent sitting on the Dan Ryan or the Stevenson 
or the Bishop Ford or what are the other highways? Uh, the Kennedy. The Kennedy. Oh, the Kennedy. <laughs> it's the one that I spend the most time on. Yeah. What would you do with 155 extra hours if mm. you could get back the hours that you spent in traffic last year? How would you spend the 155 hours? Let's get some quick phone calls on this one. <laughs> Tell me how you would spend an extra 155 hours. Calls and texts, but would love to hear your voice this morning. 312-274-9624. I got a couple ideas what I would do with that time. Harold from Chicago, what would you do with an extra 155 hours? Hi, good morning. Well, it would change my morning routine so I'd be able to sleep in more. I would drive slower, and I'd probably be able to sit down for breakfast. (laughs) I get that. I love it. Harold from Chicago, thanks for that. Sit down and eat breakfast. Allie, what would you do with the extra time? Okay, so I would say a good 10% of that would be sleep. So Only 10? 10%? No, uh, let's let's up that to 20. <laughs> let's be safe and up it to 20. What's 20% of 155 uh, math majors? Okay, uh, probably around 30 hours, okay, give or so take. Okay, so let's go an extra 30 hours of sleep okay. in a year. Okay. Oh, that would be, that's only an extra. Yeah, you think about that. You split, that's, that's like an extra, like for a month, you get an extra hour of sleep a day. Ooh. Let's go. Let's go higher. <laughs> no. Okay, so I I would definitely get some extra sleep time. I would probably add in some walks, some more walks and some more exercise. Yeah. More time, more devotional time for sure. That's good. And more time just being with family. I like it. More That's time awesome. because if you if you were able to eliminate that commute, and I don't mm-hmm. have a long commute to work, but I do have to do commuting for other things for the kids. Sure, sure. So yeah. I do spend a lot of time in the car, in the car going checking the app to see if there's a faster way around whatever is stopping traffic now. What Absolutely. would you do with the time, the extra time? Uh, probably about a hundred percent of it's going to sleep. A hundred percent. Well, you think about it. Look yeah, at, I mean, look at it this way: my my commute. There and back in a day is probably about an hour, 30, hour, 40 minutes. And so if I take that commute away and I add an extra hour, 30 or hour, 40 minutes to my sleep every weekday, I'm getting good nights of sleep all the time. You're making this sound so appealing. (laughs) Except it's not possible. Let's get let's get a couple more here. Uh, Daryl from Chicago. What would you do with an extra hundred and fifty five hours? You know what I would do at that time? Spend more time reading the Bible because you know why? He invests a lot of time in me, and plus uh, he give, he invests a lot of time in my skills of yo-yo play and chess play. So <laughs> I spend more time reading the Bible. Awesome. Daryl from Chicago. Let's get one more. I love it. Anthony, also from Chicago. Notice all of our Chicago folks are, are, are <laughs> responding to this They're one. Here. Anthony, you got an extra 155 hours no longer spent in traffic. What would you do with the time? Hey guys, good morning. good morning. I would definitely spend it at home. I drive for a living, so I've uh-huh. been caught in nightmare traffic, and I lost a lot of time. Mm. But I would spend it at home. I got two beautiful boys, a beautiful wife, and I always tell her, "Boy, just to be home is." Yeah, what a gift, right? Great. Is all, yeah. You know, my boys can be in the other room, 
And I'm just so satisfied being at home. I love it. Anthony from Chicago, thank you for calling in an extra 155 hours. Sounds pretty good. Young Thunder, I think your proposal, though, when you really divide (laughs) that up, because you think, okay, there's 365 days a year. So we're not even talking about an extra hour of sleep a day. A day. No. We're really only talking about maybe an extra half hour, not even. Yeah, that's true. Somewhere in the 20 minute range. Well, and you got to think because this is the thing is that the 155 hours is strictly from the congestion. It's not your normal commute. It's the time lost sitting in the traffic when you would normally be moving. Okay, so that's if I could get anywhere that I needed to go and it would just take the normal driving time with no stoppage. Right. If you, if you had no stoppage, zero minutes would have been counted on the clock. But as soon as you slow down, any time lost starts to be counted. So it's 155 hours lost from a normal free flowing commute. Young Thunder, I think you may be onto something. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is Carl with Carl and Crew, and I'm so grateful that you listened to this show cast. Thank you mostly for being part of the Boom Crew. As we help you take your next step with Jesus, you're a huge encouragement to us. We'll be here again live every weekday morning from 5 to 9 a.m. Godspeed.